We operate in, in our geography all the time. And so we can pick up on those nuances and changes in preference or changes in yeah. sub-markets. We can start to, it's, it's not even that we can sense, it's almost that we just intuitively know at times that a particular sub-market is going to benefit from a, a broad theme within a market. This is Durable Value. Get investing and business insights from industry experts and successful entrepreneurs every week. Like and subscribe now. So today we are going to talk a little bit about asset allocation and mm -hmm. how we look at that through our lens. How do we decide what properties, what product types, what geographies uh, we're pursuing, and just getting a little bit into the mind of uh, what our process is for identifying the right next opportunity. Yeah. I think when we think about where to invest, some of the key questions we start by asking is, uh, where is the wind at our backs? In other words, which markets and sub-markets have population in migration, have things that are attractive in the current market conditions, that are likely to be that way for the next three to five years? We also think, okay, but if the wind's at our back, where are assets also mispriced? So in other words, we see a trend happening, but for some reason the market hasn't priced that in yet. We see that a lot with the Central Valley versus the Bay Area. Uh, for some reason, they're only an hour apart, and yet there's a stark difference in values. We also think a lot about, because most of the deals we buy are off market, where can we be a dominant player that can secure a pipeline of off market deals? How can we leverage our relationships, our connections with the brokerage community, with the sellers and owners, uh, to make sure that we have a steady deal pipeline of acceptable deals? And tagging on that last point, a key thing we discuss often is where can we be dominant uh, to get that steady pipeline of regular deals that are a good fit for our core competencies, we have to be a major player in the market. We have to be uh, the group that gets the call when the asset is for sale. Well, and let's talk about wind on our backs a little bit. Um, you know, part of the reason that we focus on the Central Valley or larger Northern California geography is because there is ongoing momentum in that uh, area. It's uh, an area that constantly has population growth. Um, it's an area that has some strong economic drivers um, like government, ag, healthcare. Um, and through the COVID crisis, We've actually seen an additional wind on our backs that we didn't anticipate, which is kind of a change in preference. People deciding that they no longer uh, wanted to opt for the dense urban environment, mm -hmm. or at least some people deciding that, and deciding that they, they wanted to be in an area where they can have a house, a yard, maybe some land, and have a little more space. Yeah. When we think of, especially office space, we often want to be at 40% of replacement cost or 45% of replacement cost. That tends to be the sweet spot. And one of our core values is you make your money going in it, versus the Bay Area where assets tend to be priced at two to three times replacement cost. So we have a wind at our backs as far as population coming, um, but we also have uh, maybe mispriced assets uh, in that they're half of replacement cost uh, or better. Mm-hmm. And within our geography, we start to drill down into specific markets, specific submarkets, and how those submarkets, uh, the, the, the dynamics within those submarkets. So take Sacramento, for instance. Um, that is an area that probably has the largest 
population concentration in the Central Valley. It also has the state capital, second largest government center in the country. And so that's an area where when we look at um, office investing, that's an area that, that we feel has you know, strong tailwinds. Mm-hmm. As we look to asset allocate, we often talk about themes as well. Uh, in my mind, I think about almost business lines. So one of the business lines I think about, as we talked about, is uh, office assets in Sacramento in top three or four sub-markets, meaning downtown, South Natomas, Point West, uh, and now North Natomas. Yeah. yeah, certainly Roseville and Folsom. Um, but, but assets that are, for some reason, a little bit mispriced or a little bit off market, or we get a lead on that someone uh, didn't know about. Usually they're 70% occupied or 80% occupied, um, but they fit our model. So that's one business line. Another business line would be apartments. So um, in this case, they're apartments, they're high four caps, but they're two or $300 below uh, market rents for some reason. This is usually a reflection of ownership. Um, usually there's a, a piece of renovation cost we can do to bring them up to market. Um, that's another piece. In, in order to keep deal flow going uh, at the right levels, the right piece of pipeline, these things sort of trickle in. So it's like uh, we have an apartment business that we're working on and growing, and we have an office business that we're working on and growing. Um, another theme we've been talking about, though, is, is Bay Area. Certainly, as uh, the Bay Area is getting hammered to some degree right now because uh, it, they're, they're getting a lot of bad press, and a lot of population is moving our direction slash out of state, and so the, the pendulum has swung. Uh, you know, tw- 15, 20% of San Francisco uh, office space stands vacant or looking for sublease. If there was going to be a time to buy San Francisco office space, now would be a time. And, and we're not actively investing right this second, but that is a theme we discuss. And I think uh, we can also talk about some themes that we are um, steering away from as well. Um, in, on the retail side, certainly there are seismic shifts happening in retail right now. Uh, we have invested in some large shopping centers in the past. And right now we see that market having a lot of unrest. There are certain types of retail that are strong, uh, grocery services, that sort of personal services, that sort of thing. And so if the right asset comes across, it's something that we would explore. But the pricing relative to the risk that we see right now generally doesn't seem to be making sense. Another asset type obviously is industrial. Um, This is another asset type that we've invested in in the past. Uh, We actually took a run at a large property recently but the owner decided that they wanted to solve the vacancy issue rather than going to market and having us as the next buyer solve that vacancy issue. And I think that reflects that market. The industrial market is very hot, arguably overheated. And so to find opportunities where we can use our brand of value creation, where we can roll up our sleeves, and earn an appropriate return for that value creation, it's very difficult in the industrial market right now. By the end of 2021, what will work look like? Get our in-depth analysis and five predictions for the future of work and office space in our report, The Future of Work. Download at grisadapartners.com. One thing I 
we think about too is being agile uh, and adjusting our strategy as we go. One thing I try is with each asset to be about 15% uh, closer, maybe 10% closer than we were before. When we buy an apartment asset, we see how that leasing happens, we see how renovations happen, we see what the market response is. Um, and then we try to be a few neighborhoods closer to where we want to be. And we try that and we learn from that and we triangulate. Same with office assets. Ah, smaller footprints are leasing better now versus larger or this part of this neighborhood's doing better. Mm -hmm. So with each, with each asset, uh, we try to move closer to the expert zone, closer to that 2%, 2%, 3%, 5% uh, that's at the expert level. And um, I think, you know, one analogy would be Olympic athletes, often they're only 2 or 3 or 4% better than the best amateurs. But there's a big difference between a gold medal and, uh, you know, winning, winning in amateur mm -hmm. games. And same in investing. You know, it's one thing to uh, do your investment, but to stay at, at Olympic medal status, you have to keep being in that top two, three, five percent, uh, a little bit better than our competitors. Yeah, and and uh, if you're not operating in that market every day, you have a very difficult time doing that. Yeah. Uh, going along with the Olympic athlete analogy, if you're dabbling in different sports, you're going to have a hard time having that clarity of focus uh, that we have. We operate in, in our geography all the time. And so we can pick up on those nuances and changes in preference or changes in yeah. sub-markets. We can start to, it's, it's not even that we can sense, it's almost that we just intuitively know at times that a particular sub-market is going to benefit from a, a broad theme within a market. Yeah. And that you can't have that kind of granular knowledge about thematic changes without being in the market every day. Yeah. I was in Sacramento last week, and I walked through seven buildings. Uh, th three or four of them were on our list of prospects or leads. The other ones were surrounding buildings. But I love the intel when I get when I walk into adjacent buildings and see what the tenant mix is and what the culture of that building is. Uh, often it's surprising. Vacancy is a little higher than you expected, or they overinvested here, or they... You see something, you're like, ah, oh, I would have done that lobby a little bit differently. But those little nuances give you the uh, market intel that it's going to take to make your building uh, shine. And you can't really get that off the internet, and you can't hear it from brokers. You have to build your internal compass of what success looks like and then go test it out in the market. Can you talk a little bit about our uh, apartment buying strategy and how we're triangulating into particular markets? Yeah. So we started, uh, we often talk about, uh, you know, if you're going to get down something over the goal line, you start, you know, outside the stadium, then you get to the stadium, then you get to the bleachers, then you get to the field, then you get to the goal line. And one of the things we've done recently over this last year is identify the zip codes that uh, we felt were the strongest throughout Central Valley, you know, all, all the way up to, um, you know, north of Sacramento down to Bakersfield. But these are these reflect uh, all sorts of things, demographics, retail spending, income, marriage rates, you name it. We got it down to zip codes, e even census tracts. But we looked for the strongest areas, and then we looked for uh, mis pricing. So how are rental rates relative to uh, purchase price? How have prices changed and lowered in, in recent years? Um, from that, we identified a, a hit list of, of sort of zip codes, about 75, really, um, and have been targeting those. 
And within that, we find that our, our best assets are often, uh, they're sort of, well, we think of them as both location uh, and uh, improvements. And a perfect investment for us is sort of a C-plus improvements in a B-plus location. So we look for those B-plus locations that for some reason, the last owner didn't paint the building. The last owner had sort of that culture that didn't reflect our culture. These are the places where we can lead with capital, we can lead with culture, we can have a fresh vision for that property. And generally because of the last ownership, rents aren't where they should be. So that, that's the opportunity we look for and, and how we dig in. So as we go forward, how do we look at themes moving forward? How do we identify and spot those trends going yeah. forward? This comes a little bit to worldview and investment philosophy. And I know we're a little bit similar and a little bit different. Yeah. Um, I tend to think of the world as a pen pendulum. And if I want to find opportunity, I look at what's not popular right now. And I try to figure out why and try to figure out if the reasons why it's not popular at this moment are things that we can impact or things that uh, will be different. The market goes up and down, and it's very difficult to time tops, and it's very difficult to time bottoms. Um, so one thing uh, I look for, one thing we talk about, is trends that are happening, certainly recessions and market cycles, uh, but also you know, COVID or things like that. And uh, one one thing we're talking about is we, you can't time the bottom. You have to sort of invest into it. So you pick a theme you believe in, and then you start making offers on buildings. You start interacting with the brokers and owners there. You can't just say, you know, now it's time to buy office space in this location and flip that switch. That's a six to nine to 18 month process to, to close on something at the right price. Um, so to do that, you have to go engage with that market, even when it's out of favor, even when it seems like a dumb idea, even when other people might say, you gotta be kidding. A lot of times when it's a, you know, quote unquote, dumb idea, that's the time when there is the most uncertainty. Yeah. And something that I think we bring to this a little bit is we're, we're always buying below replacement costs, sometimes well below replacement costs, we're always buying cash flowing assets. We're buying properties based on conservative future underwriting. So if there's a lot of scariness in a market, our underwriting is gonna definitely reflect that scariness because we wanna make sure that that asset performs well in a, in a very distressed environment. But if we can clear away all the noise yeah. of, ah, scary, this is a bad time, that sort of thing, if we can clear away that noise, and still fundamentally buy something that is at a, in a great location, it is suffering from distress or poor management, and uh, we're gonna be at a cost basis where we can compete even as the market changes. That's our margin of safety. That's how we know we can still clear away. And in the meantime, there are going to be sellers that because of that chaos, because of that mm -hmm. uncertainty, they say, this may be the best thing I ever get, and I'm, I'm going to you know, hand, hand it over at this price because I don't know what the future holds. Well, scariness is a, an emotional term. It's a way of trying to price in a bunch of unknowns. I don't, that's scary, so I'm going to put a scary factor on it. Mm -hmm. I, sometimes that's reasonable, uh, 
But great investing requires uh, removing emotion. And quantifying Quantifying emotion. <laughs> you know. Well, what is occupancy? What, how is occupancy changing? What are rental rates? What, how is that supply and demand curve changing? What's really going to happen? Not, not just what's in the news, but if you could fast forward five years from now, come to this neighborhood, come to this building, come to this apartment. What does it look like? How do we get in front of that? How do we uh, get a better price now that lets us uh, profitably execute that play. And um, that's an enjoyable exercise. I really like yeah. doing that. And we're not helicoptering in and trying to understand some market that we don't know. You know, yeah. we're, we're doing this in markets that we have a long history with as well. I, I think that's what our investors uh, and the capital we work with pays us to do. They, they pay us to be experts uh, in a subject, to think ahead, to see things beyond just what the media is saying. Um, if we just rode the media wave or we just rode the normal real estate cycle, we haven't done anything. Our, our job is to see things a little bit differently and to get that right almost all the time. <laughs> mm -hmm. And that requires a high degree of proactivity versus reactivity. Yeah. Where we're going in and spotting trends, identifying problems, identifying potential outcomes rather than uh, sitting back and waiting to see how it all turns out. Yeah. L luckily, we're in the value-add business. So we are not in the business of buying the tops of waves and seeing what the market does. Mm -hmm. Nope, we, we don't buy stocks. We're, we're activist investors in that we buy in the middle of waves. We buy buildings with challenges that our company and we have deep experience fixing. And so we're able to influence things uh, our direction we're able to build in a margin of safety that wouldn't otherwise exist and layer that on top of the wind at our backs or the belief we have in, in the market trends. And most of the time it works out. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Durable Value, an investor's podcast, where we demystify commercial real estate with safe, sound investment strategies to help you balance your portfolio. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to rate it on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. To learn more, visit crusadapartners.com, where you'll find more information, investors' tools, case studies, and more. This podcast is hosted by Joe Miratori and Ryan Suela. It's produced, edited, and mixed by Melodic, with intro music by Ian Post. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>